It's time for Girls in Golf Podcast with your favorite hosts, Lex and Sarah. Ladies, when you're ready. Welcome to Girls in Golf. I'm Lex, joined by Sarah, and we're really excited for our guest this week. I'm going to get right to it. Her name is Nancy Henderson, and she's the Chief Teaching Officer and the President of the LPGA Foundation. Nancy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. We're really happy to have you on. Uh, made the connection through some of our uh, mutual friends at the LPGA. And for those that don't know, can you describe the three, the four goals of the foundation? Sure. Well, first, the LPGA Foundation, um, you know, has started because of the players. The players wanted a way to donate money to other players, and there wasn't a mechanism at the time. So. You know, one of the things that our foundation does is provide financial assistance for those in the LPGA family. Um, other things we do in the foundation is we award scholarships to girls who are, uh, you know, playing golf and wanting to play golf at the collegiate level and at the highest level. And then we have our LPGA Amateur Golf Association, which is 13,000 really passionate women who you know, um, play golf at the local level and and compete nationally in events. And finally, our flagship program is our LPGA USGA girls golf program. And uh, we're really excited to have um, that partnership with the USGA to uh, engage girls in golf. So you've been with the LPGA Foundation for about 10 years now. Um, You've grown the engagement with the LPGA USGA girls golf by thousands And now we're able to see girls make up about one third of juniors. How does that make you feel? Well, I took over the foundation in 2010. Our commissioner, Mike Wan, said, if we have girls golf, let's do something with it. And at the time, we had 5,000 girls engaged in girls golf. um, And we'll have 90,000 girls engaged actually at the end of this year. So, yeah, it's been incredible growth. And when you put the power of the LPGA and the LPGA family behind it, between our LPGA certified professionals, our LPGA tour members, and then even our LPGA amateur members who you know, really worked hard to provide the opportunity for girls, any girl, to be able to learn the game of golf and to take advantage of the benefits that golf has to offer. So it's been really exciting um, to see the growth and to feel like, We've done our part in pulling on the rope. You know, there's other industry organizations that do that as well. But we are the only all-girl program. And, you know, we found that keeping girls in a girls-only environment helps them not only get in the game, but stay in the game longer. I um, I actually went to an LPGA USGA girls golf clinic when I was um, little. I was, I, well, I wasn't little. I was like a preteen. Um, and I was, my dad was trying to get me to add golf to my dance time (laughs) and um I just what I remember is like feeling a lot more comfortable than I did with my dad on the range like I love my dad I'm an only child like he's my guy but at the same time golf was so frustrating and like you said is they feel more comfortable I felt more comfortable around other girls who were you know having the same swing issues that I was so I think these programs are super important and I want to know like how, what is it, what is it about getting girls in golf that excites you? Yeah, I think being that girl in golf that took up a junior clinic and was one of two girls of the 10, you know, I was the one girl that stayed to kind of beat the boys because I was competitive and the other girl did not want to be with all the other boys. So, 
you know, that environment of a lot of boys and not a lot of girls um, is tough. You know, not all girls really like that unless you are extremely competitive. And, you know, girls golf is not just about golf. It's more than golf. It's about our five E's, which is, you know, empower, engage, exercise, energize, and enrich. And, um, you know, it's a combination of programming that really makes it fun for the girls. So if it's an empower day, you learn about LPGA tour professional, Brittany Lincecum, and then you learn how to hit your driver further. And at the end, you might hit a water balloon and, you know, walk out with a new friend. So it's as much about the golf shoes and the, uh, you know, the laces that they have in the golf shoes as it is how far they hit the golf ball. So how do you continue to grow the game and who's involved to make sure that happens? Yes. So we do a lot of our recruiting through LPGA professionals and PGA professionals who have a passion about, you know, junior golf. And, you know, it's really easy for us to have them experience one girls golf um, experience that we provide for them. So it may be just, hey, would you try a two hour clinic? And we provide them with that template. Once they do it, they're hooked. They realize how great it is, you know, to have all the girls together and how much fun it is. So, you know, part of our recruiting is through our professionals. Our other focus, um, we launched this year our LPGA Renee Powell Fund, which is a grant designed specifically for minority girls, black girls. Um, The first four grants went to the Ohio area where Renee's from. So, you know, we're starting to focus more and more on, you know, diversity of black girls and black communities and making sure that every girl, um, no matter of um, their position in life, has the opportunity to, you know, learn golf and enjoy it. What's the response been like for the foundation after, you know, starting that grant and getting more involved? It's been amazing. We've had a lot of our LPGA partners jump on board. We've had Um, some virtual pro-ams and scrambles that our LPGA Amateur Golf Association raised $56,000 in um, just a virtual scramble event where the proceeds went to the Renee Powell Fund. So, you know, Renee is just an amazing woman. She's, you know, the second African-American woman to play on the LPGA Tour. She's a course owner in Ohio. You know, you, you can't not be around Renee and, and uh, not want to donate and contribute and, you know, just honor her legacy. When it comes to the, you know, the actual young girls, the juniors in your programs, have you heard of, you know, like kids having shorter attention spans these days and any needs to like adjust how you do clinics, maybe the timing of each station, things like that? It's interesting, you know, this has been a kind of odd year with COVID and, and, you know, we spent a lot of time on some back to, you know, play, you know, program guidelines to make sure that when our girls got back to programs and and playing golf, that it was in a safe environment. So it's, it's kind of made us be a bit more creative in how we run our group events. So, you know, smaller groups, more on course. I think the on-course component has been really great because, you know, you don't want 40 girls all at once on the driving range, but you can send them off four at a time on the golf course. So there's been more play, I think, this year um, than any year. And to your point, play might be three holes for the seven-year-olds. It might be six holes for the 10-year-olds, or it might be nine for those that are, you know, able to walk and carry a bag. But you know, we tailor our programming specifically to the girls and we always incorporate fun. So there's games, there's activities, there's crafts, 
Um, so even our station rotations, when we do them, are very short. So it's, it's good. It keeps them moving. Uh, there are a few communities in LPGA, such as professionals, the tour, and amateur golf association members. How does the foundation maintain relationships and grow these communities? Yes, you know, the LPGA is one big family. I mean, we started in 1950 with the tour. The teaching professionals came on board in 1959. Um, then the foundation came on in, in 1980. You know, for me, I oversee two of those three entities. So it's really important to connect all three. And Girls Golf has kind of been the program that's brought all of those entities together. We are all engaged and passionate about helping to change the face of golf and you know the momentum's moving you know you mentioned we went from that 17 percent that i think we were at for a hundred years to a 36 percent of all juniors being girls so it's uh, hard not to be excited just based on the fact that we've had such great success and the tour players are part of it they're amazing role models for the girls and um you know we just we just are so fortunate to have the entire family, um, even led by our commissioner, Mike Wan. I think you've seen his passion for, for making a difference and getting more girls engaged. So it's, um, it's great. And it's not hard because, you know, all you have to do is experience one girls golf event and uh, you're there. How often are the LBGA players um, able to come out and help the juniors? I know their schedules are quite busy. Is that, can that be kind of challenging sometimes? Well, a lot of times, um, you know, if there's a player in a local market, they're very engaged in their off season with their girls golf program, whether it's a Cheyenne Woods in Phoenix with our um, one of our largest sites there where our founder, Sandy Lebove, is, is still active and engaged in, in programming. Um, and then we bring the girls when we can to the LPGA tour events. So we have activation, you know, in a non-COVID world when we have fans where the girls can actually, you know, come and do programs like a Sandra Gall has a walk with Sandra program where the girls get to walk inside the ropes. So those kind of things um, are, are the ways that we bring the girls out. Little things, even like our last event we just had, our drive-on championship, um, girls golf alumni in the field were announced as girls golf alumni on the first tee. We brought one of our girls out to be an on-course reporter. And if you didn't see Ophelia, she was amazing last week. Um, so, you know, we, we do that so that girls golf is top of mind. You mentioned um, momentum and Mike Wan. So Mike Wan, we had on our old web show, Callaway Live, and he certainly has a ton of energy. He's a great advocate for the LPGA but you've previously said that like one of the biggest challenges is that it's it, you have to work really hard to be heard as one of the smaller players in the golf industry. Do you feel like that has gotten better in recent years or has stayed kind of the same? And can you describe why? Yeah, you know, I, and I have said that before because, you know, the LPGA is, is really in terms of sports properties, one of the smaller sports properties. Our reach is just not as big as the LPGA Tour. I mean, the PGA Tour, the PGA of America, even the USGA, you know, they have the platform on network TV that they can reach an audience that we can't. So, um, and just in terms of the numbers, right, there's 28,000 PGA of America professionals, of which I'm one, um, 200 women are, are dual members of LPGA and PGA, and we have 1,800 certified teachers in the LPGA. So 
we are smaller, so our voice in the industry just isn't as loud. So sometimes we have to just, you know, um, be a little more vocal and a little bit more out there. And, and that's not always an easy thing for women to do. Um, women aren't always as good about saying how good they are as a teacher or um, really pushing for, you know, that door to be open. And, um, you know, but we are seeing momentum. We're seeing that shift. I think part of what's going on in the world today with diversity and inclusion and um, even the COVID has brought a lot of the industry organizations together. We're working better now um, than we ever have together to, uh, to make a difference. We had um, Tina Mickelson Tapasio on last week, and she talked about like one of her first experiences in a clubhouse when she was uh, like starting out being one of the club pros. And she mentioned, you know, like her member went straight to a man and um, assumed that he was a golf pro. And they actually said, no, no, this is our this is our golf pro. And I know that you've had you've seen a similar environment. Do you think that that has gotten better for the teaching professionals? I think it has in a lot of ways. You know, golf professionals today are becoming more and more specialized. Seventy percent of our LPGA professionals are, you know, teachers and independent contractors at facilities or working at facilities. Now, you know, that's kind of the norm. You want a male teaching professional and a female teaching professional. So a lot of our, our professionals who, you know, teach are in demand. Um, we have others like myself. I was director of golf general manager at LPG International. I chose the management side and um, I was told early on in my career that I would never be a head professional director of golf because I was a woman. Um, and of course that made me want to try and do it, you know, more. Um, so when I ultimately got to be the general manager at LPG International, I was like, okay, I'm going to make this as welcoming to women as I can. And, you know, it, it is changing in the industry, but it's still there. And I think as women, you've experienced it. I just experienced it last week. You know, I was at a golf course. Um, I had a tea time. We had a tea time in front of a foursome of gentlemen who were there and the starter asked if it was okay if the two women could go in front of the four guys, um, which was in itself insulting because we had the earlier tea time. Um, and then when we went to go ahead and tee off, we were told we were teeing off from the wrong set of tees. Um, we were playing from the, the men's tees versus the women's tees. So, you know, it happens and, you know, it's our part to educate, you know, as best we can. All they had to do was watch us hit the drive off the first tee and they knew we were on the right set of tees, but that, that bias and that kind of how women should be in golf, it, it's still there. So how do we push that, that biasness and those old perceptions out the door and, and continue to move forward and, and have people realize that it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, you can play golf and you can be really, really good. Yeah, I think there's power in numbers. I think the more women we get playing the game, what I'm most excited about is that 36% number of junior girls. What's that going to be like when those girls are women? And now when you go to a golf course, almost half of the participants are women versus men. That's kind of what I'm excited about. And I think the more we can see women you know, at golf courses, the better it is. And, you know, we, um, we can break some of those stereotypes, you know, the myths that, you know, women don't tip or women don't play fast or that they can't necessarily hit the ball far or whatever those are. And they're out there. Um, but you just, you just got to break it down one barrier at a time. That's all we can do. 
What can equipment companies like Callaway do either to help the foundation's, you know, goals or to help women in golf more? Well, Callaway is already um, doing it. I mean, really, I, first of all, just this podcast and the, the fact that there's something dedicated to girls in golf is, is pretty cool. Um, I'm a Callaway girl. I've played Callaway now for 20 years. So I don't know whether you knew that or not, but um, just the fact that, you know, the, the term women's clubs are going away, right? I mean, there's no such things as really clubs for women. Um, you all provide opportunities for women to get the right equipment, regardless of their, you know, height and swing speed. And, you know, it's, it's, it's changing. It used to be, you know, hey, there's the ladies clubs. Um, but now it's uh, women have just the same opportunity to be fitted into a set. Cause as we know, not all women are alike or the same and um, their golf games aren't the same. So um, I just think that it's been great to see that evolution for me being in the golf industry for as many years as I have just to see that change and, to, you know, have women in the right set of clubs that fit them. I always say it's like, taking up running and you buy a pair of shoes that are two sizes too big for you. Um, you, you can run, but you're going to end up with blisters and you're not going to do as well. Right. So, I mean, that's really what women for years did. They got the, the ladies clubs, even though they were five foot 10 and, you know, could, you know, lift a whole bunch of weight and swing fast. So um, it's exciting. I'm glad you all are at the forefront of, of the change and the changes that focus on women. Thank you. Um, it's really interesting that you say that because we have, Sarah and I have been a part of a, quite a bit of research around like women's clubs and what they want and what they're looking for. And it does vary throughout, you know, I mean, everyone's different, right? But the the term women's clubs, like people kind of seem to lump it in and um, they assume, you know, that women's clubs and seniors clubs are pretty much the same. They're these like lightweight, whatever. And we're we've discovered that women still want clubs that are designed for them, right? That's still, that's still really important. And I think that's why for us, we, we launched this like big Bertha Reva, um, which was in stores a couple weeks ago. And we still called it a women's line because we wanted it to be very clear that these clubs are like made for a certain type of golfer that, and it was studied with female driven data. Um, do you think that that is still a good classification then of the women's like of the women's equipment and how much like how much of a market do you think there is for like unisex versus like women's? Yeah, I think it's it's a little bit of it's just what people are used to. Right. I mean, women, you know, when they go to play a golf course, they're used to or told those are the women's tees. Right. And that's that's what they're used to. That's the option. That's what's provided to them. It's no different than my dad, who's 82, who I love to play golf with. We played, you know, I guess probably six months ago now um, for the first time. I said to him, why are you playing the white tees? And he said, well, these are the men's tees. And I'm like, but there's green tees and there's red tees and there's other options that are more forward. Wouldn't you enjoy the game more? Well, can I do that? And I'm like, absolutely. Come on, we'll play the green tees together, which was considerably shorter. Um, and now he's playing from that set of tees. He's playing twice a week. He's enjoying the golf game more. So I think it's just breaking those norms are, these are the ladies clubs you play with. These are the ladies tees you play from. And oh, by the way, you know, here's, here's the, the ladies option. 
I think unisex will get there. I just think to break that, oh, I need ladies clubs, that mentality, it's going to change with these girls that are coming up. Um, because these girls that are coming up are already into those unisex clubs and, and going to get fit um, by Callaway for clubs that fit them. And they're not maybe not ladies clubs or the shaft that goes in ladies clubs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've definitely we've had that conversation with a lot of people. So thank you for your take. And at least a long ball actually is a very big proponent of the forward tease. She's very specific about that when she does her clinics. Um, one more question before we let you go. We have talked to a couple of professionals, um, specifically Lahua Wise out at the hideaway in um, Palm Springs. And she said that she studied, you know, um, like golf course management in college. Do you guys talk about that um, at, at the girls golf programs? And if women do want to study that or get their, PGA um, certification, like where can they go? Yes. So we start early on talking to girls about careers in golf. Uh, you know, girls get into golf wanting to play on the LPGA tour. I was one of them. I watched, you know, Nancy Lopez growing up and I wanted to be Nancy Lopez. Um, found out really quickly I was not going to be Nancy Lopez, um, but I enjoyed golf and I was able to make a nice living in um, the industry. And we start talking to the girls at a very young age about opportunities to work in golf because you all are doing it. You want to do something that you're passionate about and that you really um, get up every day and, and enjoy what you do. So there's a lot of opportunities for girls um, and women to go through, whether it's the PGM program. We have a partnership with Kaiser University. They have a golf management program. You know, our LPGA certification is 100% teacher centric. So if you want to be a teacher, um, you definitely want to go through our teacher certification. Um, and then, like I said, I'm a PGA of America member. So I was taught everything from, you know, um, golf cart maintenance to golf course maintenance to food and beverage through the PGA certification in, in golf course management. So there's lots of opportunities. You can go on lpga.com and it says how to become a certified professional and, and it's a step-by-step -step process. And you know, it's uh, it's good for us that our numbers have grown. You know, we had a thousand women as part of our organization when I um, started working for the LPGA and now we have 1800. It's almost double. That's really cool to hear. And if anyone listening would like to get more involved with the LPGA Foundation or to donate, you can go to LPGA.com. Nancy, thank you so much for your time today. And, you know, hopefully when all of this, you know, the world is back to a little bit of normalcy. We'll be able to go out and play around golf together. I'd love that. That'd be awesome. <laughs>